This is Further, a weekly show for the people of Harmony Bible Church, where we seek to revisit and expand on Sunday sermons with the goal of growing deeper in biblical truth that transforms our lives. Welcome back to Further. I'm Brenton Grimm, and I'm here again with Chris Carr. How are you doing? I've been better, uh, as my voice probably will give away, but uh, I'm I'm actually doing better than I've been the last couple of days, so hopefully we'll get back uh, or come back around by Sunday. But um, all that said, though, excited about uh, this new year and looking forward to uh, another year podcasting with you, Brenton. Yeah. Yeah, you sound great. So uh, 2024 is obviously here, and it's uh, good to be back talking to you guys. Before we get started, Chris, you mentioned uh, a few weeks ago that this last year was was one of your best years of ministry. What was one or two highlights of you for 2023? Yeah, I would actually say it's probably my best year of ministry, and uh, I'm just so thankful for all that God uh, did last year, and there are really a lot of highlights. Uh, uh, one of the biggest, of course, is uh, sending out four families uh, to church plant. Uh, I know I've talked about that a lot, but I don't think we can celebrate it enough. Yeah. Um, you know, the, those four are homegrown people and uh, families, um, and they're they're willing to to sacrifice and to move different parts of the world, um, and particularly those who are moving uh, cross culturally to difficult parts of the world to, to minister. Um, you talk to any of those families, they'll tell you that um, it's much different where they're at than, than here. Um, that doesn't mean that it's, it's bad. It just means that in many respects, life is, is harder, um, and less, uh, comfortable, maybe much less comfortable. And yeah, they're willing to do that for the sake of the gospel and God's already working and, and moving and we're getting reports back already about that. So that that's uh, super exciting. I thought there was a lot of fruit born in our church last year. Um, I mentioned on Sunday, 80 baptisms, which, um, again, is another thing we should never get over. Um, and a lot of those baptisms, which were fantastic stories um, of how, how God's brought people to faith and transformed um, their lives. Those are amazing. I, um, I'm so thankful for our staff. We've uh, um, God is, by, by His grace, put together just a fantastic staff, and I'm so thankful for how um, He's done that and just how people um, are working together and um, just our, our staff culture and um, what God's doing there. And then just the... So many just faithful, faithful people in our body who are serving day in and day out, and God's using them in incredible ways. And so um, I could go on and on, but there are maybe more than two but uh, highlights. But uh, yeah, uh, those are at the top of the list. Yeah. Yeah, I'll second those. I, I remember being uh, saying goodbye to one of our uh, the families that went out and we had our whole group together and we're praying together and it was, it was kind of a new experience for me to send someone, you know, kind of overseas. And, uh, but it was, it was really cool and we've stayed in good contact with them. And so, um, but along with that, we've, we've had a lot of growth here locally in the yeah. church too. So you're the Barnabas team leader, aren't you for, for one of our field staff? Yep. Yeah. We can't talk about them too much. Um, because right. they're in an undisclosed location. Um, so, but uh, yeah. Yep, we're excited for what's going on there. Um, all right, let's get into some questions. 
So in this section of Romans, Paul tells us or tells the church to present our bodies as living sacrifices. This imagery is a reference to the Old Testament sacrificial system, which which we are, you know, in practice completely unfamiliar with. And it's, it's not the only reference in the New Testament to spiritual sacrifice. We see it in, in 1 Peter. We see it in Hebrews. Multiple references in Philippians. And even later on, Paul writes about it in Romans, Romans 15. Could you talk a little bit about what the first century church's understanding of this would have been? Would, would his audience have had any firsthand experience with fulfilling the sacrificial law? Sure, but you're telling me you've never sacrificed a goat like in your backyard. And, <laughs> is is that what you're saying? I did a lot of things when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> that you won't talk about mm-hmm. uh, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, sure. So the um, uh, the temple, uh, the second temple in Jerusalem, was destroyed in 70 A.D. Romans was probably written in 57 A.D. Um, and so um, some of uh, the Jewish Christians in Rome probably um, have been in Jerusalem at, at some point and had experienced um, the sacrificial system. They, they were still ongoing uh, when Romans w- w- was written. And, and so it would seem likely, I mean, obviously we don't know the, who exactly was in uh, the right. Church of Rome, but right. we know that there were quite a few Jewish members of that church, um, and I think it's undoubtedly that some of them had been to Jerusalem and had had, had experienced that at some point. So, um, you know, the the Gentile believers in the Church at Rome, uh, maybe some of them had been they wouldn't have been allowed into the temple to actually participate in those sacrifices, but maybe they had been right. to Jerusalem, may, maybe, probably less less likely, much less likely. But undoubtedly, there were a, a few people um, who would, would certainly have been familiar and been able to describe it to mm-hmm. the rest of the people. And of course, Paul certainly would have been. Yeah. So, yeah, there were some people definitely in that generation that had firsthand experience with, with some of it. So, yep. Okay. What what should we, you know, as uh, modern modern day, current day, Christians know about about this system that would be helpful to us to to understand this passage. Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot there. You know, you read Leviticus, and there's there's a lot we certainly could talk about from from that. I don't know how interesting that would uh, be, uh, but uh, a couple of things that that might be helpful to us. Um, there are a multitude of offerings that would take place um, at the temple and and in temple worship to. Um, I think that could be helpful to us here. There were sin offerings, um, and in a sin offering, there would be uh, the shedding of blood and for the forgiveness of sins. Um, and so, again, we can elaborate on that, but I think it's sufficient to know, you know, um, an animal will be killed, the blood would be shed, and that was to symbolize the forgiveness of sins. Um, you know, we're, we're told in, in Hebrews quite clearly, in fact, almost all of Hebrews is about how Jesus is um, our sin offering. Um, and so that's not what Paul has in, in view here in Romans chapter 12, but there uh, were also um, whole burnt offerings. And so a whole burnt offering was where um, you would take the uh, a valuable, if not the most valuable animal from your flock 
um, one that would be unblemished, um, would be perfect. Um, and, and the point here is that it was of high, high value. And then you would come and offer it as a whole burnt offering completely. And, and what that was symbolizing is that you were consecrating yourself, dedicating yourself wholly, fully, totally. God, you're putting yourself completely at, um, his disposal. That I believe is what um, Paul has in view here in Romans chapter 12 is offer ourselves as a living sacrifice um, where we are completely putting ourselves um, in God's hands and in his disposal for him to do what um, he wants with us or for us to do what he wants us to do uh, with our lives. And that is symbolizing um, how we are, we are worshiping him. That is our reasonable service or our spiritual worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, I think as we see all these different uh, references to to sacrifice, even in the New Testament, I think we we still see the the continuity of God's character between between the Old and New Testament, and and his still his requirement for us to to commit to him, whether it's physically or sure or not. So. Yeah. Yeah, so we could talk more about that, but I think it, for the context here, what yeah. we're talking about, those are the two most important sacrifices for, for us to consider. Just to reiterate again, we don't need to make a sin offering for the forgiveness of sins because Jesus did that once and for all mm-hmm. um, as our sin offering. But now we do make, in effect, whole burnt offerings in the sense that we off—and and they did it. You know, year after year, and and really, the point, Paul, is you need to do this continually over, um, and and over again because, um, you know, living sacrifices have the tendency to drag themselves off the altar. It's the old yeah. joke, uh, but it's true. Um, is that we need to continually um, offer ourselves day in and day out in service to Him. Yeah. Um. It's common for Christians to assume that any kind of giving of ourselves to the service of Christ is, you know, automatically received as worship by God. But over and over in the Old Testament, we see that that sacrifices, uh, there were sacrifices offered that that God despised. Um, I mean, clearly we can see it in the in the story of Cain. Um, but verse one describes the required worship as holy and acceptable to God. What distinguishes between acceptable and unacceptable worship? Yeah, this is another big topic. Um, trying to, to be succinct here, I um, I would go to two places. Um, the first would be John chapter four. Jesus talking to the woman um, at the well. And uh, in the context of that conversation, he says that the hour is coming and, and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I believe spirit and truth, um, even though it's in our uh, in our English versions, um, most of them um, have spirit and truth in, in lowercase. I, I believe they probably should be uh, in uppercase, with the spirit being the Holy Spirit and the truth being Jesus. So Jesus later on in John will say, I am the way, the truth, um, and the life. Um, he also call the spirit the spirit of truth. And so... The worship that God is is looking for, and this is the big picture, and then we'll get maybe down to the um, the nitty gritty a little bit more, uh, um, is 
worship that is is in the spirit and through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're worshiping through the, the spirit, but but in um, our faith in in Jesus Christ and our union with Jesus Christ. Um, and so um, any worship that doesn't come through the spirit and in in our relation with with Christ um, would would be worship that would be be unacceptable and 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 so um, maybe to again to, to put a little bit more meat on the bone here I, I go to Psalm fifty one uh, sixteen and seventeen and uh, in Psalm fifty one uh, David is praying really his his prayer of repentance after sitting with Bathsheba. And he says, uh, verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. There's the burnt offering. Yeah. Uh, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go to Isaiah um, 66 um, and one and two. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Um, and I think that that last passage there for Isaiah really hits, hits the nail on the head. It's um, worship that God accepts is, is humble. It's, it's a contrite, which means it's a, it's, a, it's a repentant worship. And it's a wor- uh, worship that trembles at his word, which, which means like um, we're going to give reverence um, to his word. We're going to obey his word. We're going to worship him in, in, in a way that is congruent with what he has laid out about himself. And, and I think tied into that is, is, is really his obedience. Um, and uh, a, a, a lot of times in the Old Testament, I mean, and, and we even go to Isaiah, we see this repeatedly, is, is like these people, are they're, they're worshiping, they're going through the motions mm-hmm. of worship. You know, the parallel with today would be they're singing, they're coming to worship attendance, they're yeah. uh, giving their offering, maybe serving in some ministry, but their hearts are far, like, far from him. And, and it's not a heart that is, um, again, humble, is contrite, is, is obedient, mm-hmm. Um is uh, obeying his his word um, day in day out, moment by moment. Because it's I think it's really easy to go through the the outward motion. You know, like all of these things on Sunday for us, um, and then then in the week to week, in the way maybe we relate to our our spouse or our kids or at work or and and there are lots of different examples there where we're we're not actually being humble, contrite, and obedient. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. The tendency, you know, of, of Christians is to every time we read the word worship, we kind of attribute that to corporate worship and mm-hmm. and don't necessarily. I mean, that really isn't even in view of what what Paul is talking here. The the corporate worship, I think that's maybe a part of it. But um, what you're really saying is that our worship should be not self serving, right? Mm-hmm. That that we're to come in humility, um, and obedience. Do you, would you make any distinction between, 
the mode of worship. I mean, and that and that is more specifically corporate worship. But uh, is is any mode of worship okay if your heart is is correct behind it? Clarify what you mean by mode. Well, I mean, I think there's there's preference. Uh, what we would consider preference between churches, how they how they worship, how mm-hmm. they um, you know carry on a, a corporate worship. There's a reason that we do what we do sure. here, and people would disagree with it. So, is there yeah. you know is there valid differences between those if if the heart is still correct? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, and here's where different churches, denominations uh, disagree, but um, I I think where the scripture is clear about what corporate worship should should include and should should look like, then we um, we need to to to, to follow that. Yes, the mode does matter. Um, I do think that the New, New Testament gives some freedom or, or, or leeway, or, or at least we've got to be careful that we don't be prescriptive where the Bible is not prescriptive. Mm. But, but I, I will say what our, you know, definition of corporate worship, um, is that it, it, it is, it's about coming to, you know, to worship God for who he is and what he's done through preaching, praying, singing, giving and serving. Yeah. And the reason we use those five is because we see those five, um, in, laid out in scripture um is that like when when the church gathers this is the thing that the the things that the church is is to to do so we would um here at harmony um say that those are the things that need to be included in corporate corporate worship gatherings and is there room for are there is there room for other things well, sh- sure. although i, I think we got to also be careful about what those mm-hmm. those things are mm-hmm. so, yeah Good. Yeah. You got anything else on worship? Well, I, I, no, not for today. I think it, it, this is a topic that's a, another one of those topics we could chalk up to, hey, we could do a whole uh, episode or series of episodes on it. Because I, I do think that there are churches who go wrong in um, viewing their, their Sunday gatherings primarily as a um, an evangelistic outreach. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's um, honestly, I'm, I think it's unbiblical. I think it's a, and really the issue is not so much with worship; it's a faulty ecclesiology, yeah. uh, understanding of what the the church is, um, and, and so um, yeah, we could we could talk more about Agreed. that sometime. But yeah, yeah but it, but it is an important distinction here is we're if we're talking about corporate worship, we're coming to worship the Lord, and and who who can worship Him? Well. Only those who are actually his, who are his people, can can worship him. And that doesn't mean that we don't um, invite um, unbelievers, and that doesn't mean that we don't preach the gospel, which we absolutely do. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, we, we try to do that every every Sunday here, and we want to see people come to faith. But the primary purpose of the gathering of the church is to worship the Lord and to build up the saints. Absolutely, I'm with you. That uh, list of things to talk about on other episodes is stacking up. So <laughs> maybe we'll get to some eventually. Yeah. We need to start another podcast to talk about the things we can't talk about on this podcast. There so. you go. <laughs> That'll work. Um, all right. So in verse two, 
Paul says, uh, we may discern what is the will of God. And this is a topic that comes up often. Uh, you know, what is God's will for my life? Should I move? Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? First of all, what's in view when Paul speaks of, of God's will here? Is it a reference to, to God's will in our lives personally? I think it's a reference to what God wants us to do in in any particular situation. Um, and um, I, I think his, his point is, is have your mind renewed so that then whatever you face in life, you will be able to discern how God would have you to respond, what he would have you to do or, or, or not to do. Um, and, uh, but, but again, when he re, being renewed by the transformation of our mind, the, the way that the renewal happens is through the, the spirit and the word through spirit and gospel. Um, one part of second Corinthians three eighteen, which I didn't quote on Sunday, the verse actually ends with, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it's really interesting. It's a Trinitarian verse because hmm. the Lord at the beginning of the verse is Jesus, and the Lord at the end of the verse is the Spirit. Hmm. Um, and um, uh, But uh, my, my point here is that the, it's this, the, the Spirit who works in us as we immerse ourselves in the gospel, the word, that our minds are renewed. And as our minds are renewed, then whenever, um, whatever situation that we face in life, we're going to be able to discern God's word and how it applies in that specific situation. I don't think it necessarily means that we're going to be, we're talking about who we should marry or whether we take take a job, whether we should move here. If that's what you mean by personally, I don't think that that's what's, that's what's in view. I think it's, it's more in lines of like obedience and walking in the way that the Lord would have us to, to, to walk. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I agree that this, it does uh, probably have more to do what Paul's talking about here with um, obedience and just our our general heart toward toward God. But I guess while we're while we're on the topic, how should we discern these kind of big life decisions? What uh, I, I think that we you know Christians will often pray about these things. They'll ask for prayer, and they're they're kind of looking for doors to open or doors to close or. Mm-hmm. What what is what's the proper way to to approach that? Yeah, uh, do things like um, if this happens, then I'll go this way, or if right. this happens, I'll go that way, right. and it's kind of like the Gideon story, um, casting or casting lots and different things like that. There's a lot I'm, of examples of that. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't think that Gideon's example is one. I think it's uh, descriptive in scripture, not prescriptive for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I, I think that, yeah, uh, maybe uh, using a couple of examples here, um, like should I marry this person? I, I don't think God's will is that there's one person out there for us to marry, and if we don't marry that person, we've, you know, we've missed the boat. If that was the case, once one person made the wrong decision, then you know, pretty much everybody would be, uh, or a lot of people down the line from from that. Um, I think that um, you know when it comes like to that question, 
Uh, I think people should be much more concerned about being the right person than looking for the right person. Um, God's, God's will for our lives is more in terms of, again, our character and our obedience. And, and when we, we walk in the way that God would have us to walk and we're the kind of people that he would have us to be, and we value the things that he values, then we're much more likely to find the, 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 the person that's going to be a good fit, a good spouse for us. And, and likewise, when it comes to a, a job or a move. So I'll give an example here. Uh, one of my kids is getting ready to uh, potentially make a, a pretty big move um, from one location to another. And part of my conversation um, with him has is, is been, you know, um, find a church mm-hmm. before you before you decide where you're going to move to. Yeah. Like if you, if you think the Lord's leading you to here, fi- find a church because, um, you know, a job is a, it's important. A job is a job. Your career is, is important, but what's more important is that you have a church that you can be a part of where the gospel is preached there. You can get in and serve and where you're going to be able to grow and help the body to grow. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you, you know, my, my son's not going to, he's not going to find in the Bible a passage that says, take this job and move right. to you right. know, place X. But um, he can find that you, you, you need to be a part of a, of a, of a body and that's mm-hmm. going to build you up and it's going to have um, be gospel centered and, and all of those kind of things. And that's actually, I mean, this is a little bit of a hobby horse of mine, but I, I find people all the time, they, they say, I'm, I'm going to take this job, I'm going to move. And then they only think about the church once they get there. And it's uh, sometimes it's, it actually has pretty devastating consequences mm-hmm. because they end up not being able to find, find a, a good church. Um, and so, I, I again, maybe just to, to be more succinct, what does God value? What's important to him? What kind of person am I becoming? Um, and the, the, that's when we're talking about God's, God's will. These Sometimes these big life decisions are, are actually not as big as we make them out to, to be. When the bigger life decision is, am I going to actually um, – follow God's will, which he has laid out in scripture. Yeah. 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 Well, I think you mentioned earlier that, you know, the Bible doesn't tell me whether I should take this job or not. And I think that, you know, that's the reason that a lot of people kind of turn to, to signs or or different, you know, feelings or doors closing or whatever (laughs) that feel like they need to go some direction, um, that something to affirm or, or deny their, their plan. But, I think you're you're totally right. Like the Bible, it, it's outside of the scope of the Bible to tell you where you should work, right? Sure. I mean, there there's there's certainly principles and things that we can we can take from it, but um, I think ultimately, if we actually believe in the ultimate sovereignty of of God, then we we are. Uh, we're okay, you know. Sure. We we make we make decisions based on wisdom and and counsel of of godly people, but yeah, we're, we're never outside of of the sovereign will of God. And so I think yep. we can take we can take uh, heart knowing that if we are ob- obeying Him, then we're doing the right thing. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate what you just said there. Um, I was actually thinking what you said about wisdom and counsel. Yeah. And those two things are, are interrelated, but this is why Proverbs 
Psalms, other, the wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes are so important because that's where we learn, we can learn wisdom. And then um, as part of wisdom is having wise counselors and listening to, to, to people and not making these decisions, big, like what we call big decisions on our own. And then you're right. I mean, it, it, I mean I've learned this over and over again is like um, God's sovereign and even sometimes some mistakes that uh, I have made, he still has worked out for, for my good. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, in, in verse two, Paul tells us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One commentator mentions that this reference to renewing our mind is actually a callback to Romans one twenty eight, where, where Paul talks about our natural state. Uh, there, Paul says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to do what ought not to be done. So what's in view here is a call to Christians to continue to reverse what was previously our debased minds. Can you help put this idea of renewing our minds into practical terms for us? What does that actually look like? How can we seek to do that more? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you kind of laid it out um, perfectly there. Um, I didn't get uh, the opportunity to talk about this on Sunday, but I, I do think that um, it's an, an interesting way that uh, Paul lays it out, starting in Romans 1, is that um, in in our natural state, we um, don't acknowledge God, and so our, our, our mind ends up being unrenewed. Um, and so now that we have uh, the Holy Spirit um, within us, our, our mind in some ways already has been renewed. There is a renewal there. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the idea there is our, they become new, but they, they still need to become newer to yeah. to experience that newness to, to fulfill that newness um and i think the renewing of our mind just means that we actually view things the way that god views things um the way that things uh, we, we view them and the way that they truly are and that we see them for um reality that if you go back to the romans one is that we actually thank god when we see god when we see him in creation you know, we see creation. We can see we see him in creation. We give honor to him. We we give thanksgiving to him. Um, that we see that everything that we have is is a gift from him, and and then it just flows out um, from from that. Um, and so, as we again um, immerse ourselves in the gospel day in and day out, our 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 minds become more and more renewed so that we more and more see things the way God sees them, the, the more the way that they think truly are, and that we more and more know what the right thing to do is, and then we actually do it with the benefits that come yeah. into our life. So I I would argue um that sanctification has lots of lots of practical benefits. This is what we're, I mean. Remember, our mind is sanct- like that's yeah. sanctification, yep. and um, it has a lot of like it's good for us. It, it's not simply that we become more like God and we honor we honor Him. Yep, that's that's a that's the biggest thing, right? This is, but but it also has 
is is practically beneficial for us. So the the more my mind is renewed, the better husband I'm going to be, the better father I'm going to be, the better um, employee employee employer I'm going to be. Um, and the, the more just blessings that that's going to be in the day to day of my of my life, mm-hmm. and and so, I, if I can say it this way, life becomes easier. And, and what I what I mean by easier doesn't mean that life's not still difficult and have its challenges, but the more sanctified I am, the the less problems my sin causes for me. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and so, just just practically, when I think rightly about things, um, I I'm going to have a, a more fruitful, blessed, um, easy again. Take that word the right way. Um, life, my, my my sin is not going to cause them any problems for me. Yeah, reminds me of Psalm one, where where David yeah. is is you know comparing uh, the the way of, of the righteous man versus the way of the wicked man. Um, let's read a little bit of it here. Yeah, do it. Uh, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So we see just a practical example there of, you know, David is yep. saying, you don't, you, you don't want to be on that, on that wicked side. Yeah. And I love the middle part where he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields his fruit in the season. His mm-hmm. leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. You got to uh, remember this is in the Middle East. Okay. So it's dry, mm. hot a lot of the time. Uh, a lot of it's desert. But he's picturing here this the righteous person, the person who, who delights in the law of the Lord. So this is what I'm talking about, mercying ourselves in the gospel. Mm. Um but he's like a tree that's planted by the water in the desert, uh, which which means that even in difficult conditions, it's still going to produce fruit. It's still going to be fruitful. It's not going to die. It's not going to wither away. Mm-hmm. And then he says, "In all that he does, pro- he prospers." And that doesn't mean that he's going to everything that that he does prospers. It means that he will prosper no matter what happens. And that's what we're that's what we're talking about. That's the benefit of a renewed mind. Yeah, it's a great great place to end. Yeah, love it. All right, well we'll wrap it up there. Uh, appreciate you guys listening. It's good to be back, um, Chris. Thank you for sticking it out through this uh, sickness and coming in and doing it, preaching yeah. two weeks in a row. Yeah, I'm playing hurt, but uh, <laughs> I don't think I'll be on the uh, what's that in the NFL the pup. Physically unable to perform this. <laughs> so hopefully know. not. Sounds fitting. But pop this. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>